0: Well, good morning. morning. How many of you are here this morning? (laughs) Mostly. That's pretty good. Mark. I'm here. Good to see you. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you. We haven't caught up yet, so. That's
1: true.
0: How are you doing? I'm sick. Same haircut? Uh,
1: no. I'm <laughs> 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 basing my life on you.
0: We can't really change our haircut at this point, can we? We're kind of stuck with it. Well, so I'll be preaching to this side because you guys are a little dangerous this morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about this side right here. Yeah, I'm hearing sounds, some vacuuming sounds coming over here. Well, so I was supposed to be back in this area back in June. I know some of you guys were excited about I was coming to the area, and I just want to fill you in a little bit. My wife and I had taken about a year off. We had traveled so hard before that, and we were just constantly, we bought a house that we practically didn't live in. And so we got to a point where we said, let's take a year off. Now, I've never been pregnant, as you can see, but I would guess that the giving the birth is probably the hardest part of being pregnant mothers. Yeah. Am I right? So giving birth, that transition phase can be a real challenge. And so we had this year where the Lord was doing new things in us. He was talking to us about rest. It doesn't matter where I go everywhere. I'm hearing three words, identity, grace, and rest. Those are the three words the Lord just keeps talking to the body about right now. And he may be talking to you about one of those three words. So there was about a year where the Lord was working that in us, those three words, into our lives, into our heart. Uh, as, As I should say, my wife's not here with us this morning. She's been here all week, and she just left the other night. She's a tremendously gifted artist, and she has an art show this weekend. So she's at home in Rochester, New York, where we're from and uh no it's not snowing yet but give it a couple weeks and uh so she's back home but we we had just this great year of rest and and the lord dealing all these things into our heart rest identity grace and uh at the end of it we were transitioning back and june 1st we were going to launch out and not all of our team was ready now you've mentioned honor as far as honor, profit, receive a profit's reward. And this is, I really want to touch on this for you young guys and girls. Um, the area of honor is super important. It's really, really important. I know we get taught a lot about like obedience and submission and these different words that sometimes we don't always like, but the word honor is fantastic Because you honor people and you give them, in a sense, you give them an invisible platform that they can stand on. That's what honor really does. And so we wanted to honor everybody on our team so we could all move together, so we could move forward together. And it took, it was a challenge because we had to actually change some of our schedule and move some things so that everything would fit and everybody would be honored. And that's really important, you guys. Sometimes you're going to have to make hard decisions to be honoring So keep that in your heart. You're going to have to make those choices at times to be honoring. So now we're moving forward. The Lord's released us, blessed us. Everything's going, and it has been phenomenal. The Lord's done a whole new thing now. At this point last year, I had only had the School of the Seers, which, uh, as I said last year, this is the best book on discerning of spirits ever written by me. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning, so I'm going to leave it right there. Um, The other one, I actually wrote two books this year while we took our rest time, and this one is my second book. It's called Normal Christianity. It literally came out about two weeks ago. It's brand new. We just got it. I got it in my garage like the day before I left. So my garage is now a warehouse and uh, stacks and crates full of boxes of books. Normal Christianity, guys. I always get the question. What is that? What is normal Christianity? Is there such a thing? Jesus. He's the normal Christian. Jesus set the standard of what is considered normal. He's normal. And you know what? He even said he set the low bar. That's so crazy. He says in John 14, you're going to do the same things I'm doing and greater. Jesus set the low bar for normal. He didn't do things so high that we could just go, oh, well, that was just Jesus. That was just Jesus. Guys, that's a cop-out. That's an excuse. That is not true. He didn't do things as the second person of the Trinity. He said in John 5, I can do nothing of myself. It says that he was anointed by the Spirit in Luke 4. It was the Holy Spirit working through a perfect sinless man. That was what was going on. He didn't do it as the second person of the Trinity. He did it as a fully God and fully man, Jesus. So that means he's actually an example we can follow. Not something we put on a pedestal set over there and go, well, that was just Jesus. I'll do the best I can. And that's just Jesus. And too long. We've separated that out. He set up normal Christianity. Now, what I do is I look through that lens, that filter of thinking, you guys are so far up there. (laughs) So the nosebleed seats. What did you guys do wrong? (laughs) (laughs) We love you. You can come join us. It's great. The affection is pulling him in. So what I did here is I, I take that filter, that lens that I was just describing to you of Jesus being normal. And we're supposed to be like him, not abnormal, but we're supposed to be normal. And I take that filter and I apply it to multiple topics. I hit on uh, women in ministry and Jesus' perspective on it and how we're supposed to understand that he made equality and he empowered women. I also hit on raising the dead. Because that's normal Christianity. That's for us. Um, I hit on what I call the land of wimpy prayers. It's one of my favorite chapter titles, the land of wimpy prayers. And I, I talk about it because, you know, a lot of us have this concept like, oh, God, would you please consider healing this person? Um, Jesus already took a horrible beat down so they'd be healed. He's like, I want to heal them more than you do. <laughs> We've really misunderstood you're supposed to step into your authority as a representative as an ambassador of heaven and you command things because you have ambassadorial authority. And a lot of different perspectives of things in here I cover. I cover one called uh, building the divine ottoman. You know, ottoman's a footstool and at building the divine ottoman. God said that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the father while all his enemies are being made his footstool. So that's what's going on. God is sitting back in the lazy boy, Jesus and God, the father. And they're like, we're making the enemies the footstool. That's what's going on right now. And you know how he does it is Romans 16:19, which says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, Amen. underneath your feet. He's crushing Satan underneath your feet. We're co-laboring to create this divine ottoman. We're building it. We're working on the footstool till everything is under his feet. So I have a message of hope toward the future that someday we will have built a divine ottoman. We're going from glory to glory. His kingdom will increase without end. All right. Well, so. If you're interested in any of that, we'll have it afterward. Are you ready? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, help these people. Amen. All right, do this with me. Put your hand on your throat. Not too hard. We're not trying to pass out. All right, you should feel a pulse. If you don't, there's a prayer for that. Some of you are still looking okay so you you should be on both sides but all right now what you have going on right here you have a pulse the blood is feeding your brain oxygenating you did you know if you had for six minutes no oxygen to your brain brain damage occurs it's that quick that it starts now if you were to have that stop completely stop and not restart you would immediately dwell in the spirit realm. Okay, you can put your hand on, you look silly. (laughs) Seriously though, think about it. So often we live with this unawareness of the spirit realm. We think of it like, I'm going to have to fast, I'm going to have to go on a prayer retreat, I'm going to have to get a cabin in the woods alone to get with God so I can get in touch with the spirit realm. Guys, you don't have to do that. It's right there. It's right there. In a moment, you could be in it. But you don't have to wait to die to be in it. You could be aware of it now and be in it. You guys, we're created as three part beings spirit, soul, and body. That means your physical body interacts with the physical realm all the time. Your soul interacts with what's called the interpersonal realm. You talk with people, and emotions and minds and thoughts are exchanged. The spirit realm, a whole third of you, is supposed to dwell. It dwells in the spirit realm, but it's supposed to be aware of the spirit realm. That's where God speaks to you through dreams and visions. That's where he speaks to you through words and knowledge, and he talks to you about, hey, this person needs to be healed of this. Or he begins to show you something about someone else, and you release prophecy. All of that comes through your spirit in the spirit realm. But so often in the church, we just live with an unawareness of it. We're learning how to, you know, take care of our kids, how to pay our bills, how to work as a good, a good worker at our job. Fantastic. We need that because we're supposed to have a balanced, healthy life in all three realms. But this morning, I just want to focus in on this one realm together because the Lord really woke me up to that realm. It was kind of abrupt. I'm going to share some of my story, but, uh, You know, it wasn't something that I grew up with. I've met some people that grew up as kids aware of the spirit realm. They just, they see things, they have visions, they have dreams, and they're just aware of it all the time. Here's my story. I grew up in a church that was, uh, we believed in spiritual stuff. We would have fought tooth and nail to actually uh, uh, say we believe in these things, but we just never actually saw them. Yes, we believe in healing. When was the last time you saw someone healed? I've never seen someone healed, but I guarantee you it's for today. It was that kind of environment that I grew up in. We believed it, but we didn't see it. We believed it, but it didn't really happen very often. So you end up with almost this casual acceptance of like, oh, yeah, the supernatural. Well, but do you move in it? No, I don't really know anything about it other than I believe in it. So it was kind of a challenge growing up in that because I got to be about 15, 16 years old and I went to a meeting at a a local church around the corner from my house. I usually don't share this part of the story and I got to pray. This was the first time I saw healing. I was probably about 15 years old and there was an elderly African-American woman who said, "I'll, I'll be the volunteer. I have pain in my body. So she comes up and she sits down. And I said, well, I'll pray for her because there's a whole like workshop that they have going on. So I come up, I lay hands on her ankle, which was hurting, and she walks back and forth and she's healed. And it was the first healing I ever saw and that, that I prayed for and I saw it happen. Now that rocked my boat. Now, the teacher gets up and she's talking about how uh, God always wants to heal. It is always his desire to heal. He is not a bad father that puts diseases on people to try to teach them character. See, guys, I I know you guys don't believe it, but there are some confused parts of the body of Christ that actually think that God is a child abuser. That God would put horrible things onto his children to try to treat to teach them character. If that were true, I should just go up here and jump off the stage and break my legs so that I can learn more character. doesn't make any sense. There's no biblical example of this. You don't see it in the life of Jesus. And there's nothing that says he's going to use sickness and illness and disease to actually train and teach your character. Now, when you go through something hard, he will teach you. But it doesn't mean that he was the initiator and the causer of. Amen. So it's really important to understand that. So she gets up and she starts sharing this. And for me, I had no idea. I was like, you're saying God always wants to heal. Then why does my mom have fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue? I don't understand this. My mom, you know, you're a 15 year old person. You know, I'm, I'm a mama's boy, 15 years old. And I'm thinking this doesn't make sense to me because if anybody should be healed, it should be my mother. So I was like automatically resistant to that, even though I was like, I just saw healing. And it took me some years to work through some of those theological issues to understand. No, guys, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates my awesome mother. That makes more sense to me after a while. I started to realize what was going on. This is not God, this is the enemy. And there is a war going on right now. Now, at the same time, we also know that Jesus won at the cross. So we're on the victorious side. It's not so much a war for victory as much as the devil is more like a rebellion that he already lost, but he just continues to fight as we crush him into a footstool. So we're fighting back the rebel forces until they are completely destroyed. The increase of his kingdom is without end. So we're continuing to work on this. So that took me a while to actually understand that. I had a lot of challenges in my heart because of growing up around the supernatural. I'd been like inoculated to it. And so I knew about it. I'd heard about it. I didn't see it. And I had all kinds of confusing ideas about it. But fortunately, there was a hunger in me that wanted to see the real. And so I started to pursue the supernatural, which is completely legal. Spiritually, it says to desire the spiritual gifts. And the word desire actually is the same root word as covet. You know, you guys, it's the same word as covet. It's also the same word as lust. You can lust for certain things. Do you realize that? You can lust for the spiritual gifts. You know, you can also, it says not to covet your neighbor's wife. I covet my wife. That's a good thing. Covet your wife. You covet your wife. This is a good thing. Don't covet someone else's stuff. Covet your own. Covet what the Lord's given you and be a good steward and responsible. But it says to pursue love and the spiritual gifts. There's a balance. Pursue them both passionately and go after them. They work hand in hand. Love and the gifts work together, guys. So so I'm pursuing. By pursuing, I mean I go to like everything that comes within a two-hour radius. I'm saying, okay, my church has people in maybe once every two, three months. We get a missionary that comes off the field and comes back. And I go to that and it's wonderful. But the church across town, they got something going on. I'm going to go over there and then there's a conference over here and there's a training over there and I'm going to everything I can go to because I am pursuing. I know we get a bad rap for being like conference hoppers, but if you're hungry, you're hungry. And I usually see people for about two years, they become a conference person and they run after everything for about two years and then they go, okay and they settle in, they got their identity, they got their gifts figured out, they learned what they needed to learn. But it can take a process of some of that hunger and pursuit. And I'm okay with that. I understand that. In my process, in my hunger, in my pursuit, I spend these these first few years uh, from about 17, uh, 15, 16, 17 I'm spending uh, uh, my time running and checking and reading. I'm literally, I'm sitting down guys at like nine o'clock at night and I'm reading till about one or two every single night for about two to three years. And I'm reading book after book. I actually went to my Baptist friends and said, who should I avoid? (laughs) Then I took the list of names and I went to my bookstore and bought those ones. (laughs) So you're afraid of Peter Wagner. Okay. Peter Wagner. You're afraid of Chuck Pearson, Dutch Sheets and Cindy Jacobs. Okay, write those. These are the books I need to buy. It's a great way to get a book reading list. So I'm at one of these meetings. I'm sitting there. I'm this hungry kid. I'm just there to suck in everything I can. And the prophet who's teaching about prophecy, he stands me up. And he gives me this prophetic word. Just middle of the class, he stops teaching and he goes, you, stand up. He'd probably seen me a whole bunch of times before. And so he has me stand up and he says, Jonathan, the Lord has put a gift and a call on you for discerning of spirits, a high level of discerning of spirits and the office and the calling of a seer. You're going to begin to see things in the spirit more than you ever wanted to. Now, I was there to learn about prophecy. I didn't know what a seer was at all. I had no concept of discerning of spirits, how it works, how it functions, what it is. And seeing more than I ever wanted to, well, anything would have been more than what I was wanting to. I had no understanding or desire at that moment when he said this to me. So I'm like, okay, that's, wow, that's awesome. I got a word. So I go home and I immediately am seeing things. I mean, it was like. This is not a war with your prophecy kind of word. I have some of those. I'm still waiting for some of those. There's two different really kinds of prophecy. There's the kind that you get it and you have to walk it out for years. Like Joseph, he gets his dreams and he has to go through the prison and the whole long-term prophetic words. And then there's the ones that as soon as you get the word, it happens. And you got it. So... You have different kinds. This was one of those creative moments where it just released into me and I began to see things. Now, I usually don't share a whole lot of detail, but I was starting to see colors. I was starting to see fire, water, uh, different angelic beings, different demonic beings. It was overwhelming. Guys, it was a 30-day period where my eyes were so open that I didn't want to go out. I stayed home as much as I could. I didn't, I called off of work. I called, I just shut down everything I could because here I am like 18 years old, overwhelmed, didn't grow up knowing anything about this. It wasn't in any of the books I was reading. And I'm like I went there to learn how to give someone a nice word of encouragement <laughs> and go there to go. Hey, now I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. So. You know, you stay home as much as you can during this period, and, and that's what I was doing. Yeah, you know, I didn't go to the store. I didn't go to Walmart. If you can see in the spirit, don't go to Walmart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: I am just, I'm just, that's where I'm at. Now, here's the other thing, though. Let me back up just a moment. So that was the first day of the three-day training. The third day of the training, uh, the prophet stands me up again, and he gives me additional word of advice. He says, the Lord's already opened your eyes. You've already begun to see. I hadn't told him that. And he said, and the Lord says to keep your mouth shut about what you're seeing because the Lord is going to develop this gift for the years ahead. But just keep your mouth shut. You guys, that saved me so much of an emotional beating. I meet so many people who as soon as they start to see, they start to share everything they're seeing. And everybody else is like, and just crushes that thing. You know, Jesus told us, he said, Don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample your pearls, turn and tear you to pieces. Every stage of your development as a believer, you receive a new pearl. First Corinthians 4.1 says that we are those who are entrusted with secrets. You're entrusted. You have to steward these different levels as you grow. And as you grow, one of the things that happens, let's say you get saved. You go out and you run and you tell everybody around you about how you just accepted Jesus. That's good. You should do that. Yet at the same time, there's going to be some who are going to trample your pearl and try to tear you to pieces. Then you move on in your development to another level at some point down the road, perhaps. Maybe you spend a few years in conservative la la Church and then you decide I need more of the Holy Spirit. And you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You begin to pray in the Spirit. You begin to move in the gifts and you go back and you're like, guys, this is so exciting. It's so wonderful. You got to hear about what just happened to me. And here's my pearl. And they go, oh, let's trample that and tear you to pieces. And it just happens on every level of development, guys. We have to learn how to steward our growth. So there are times when it is wisdom, there's a time to speak, and there's a time to remain silent. So there are times, and it was just such a wonderful thing that he stood me up and said that. Because otherwise, what the Lord grew in me over the last few years could have really been hurt or hindered or stifled. So I spent years really not sharing hardly anything about what the Lord was showing me. Just being in church, going to services, going to conferences, reading books, and not hardly sharing. And so through that whole time period, I am like, I don't know what I'm seeing. I'm reading books about how to give a prophetic word to someone, but it's not telling me what do you do when you see angels in the service and then they are doing this and what do you do? I didn't have a book for that. You hear me? There is not a book for that. I read and read and read. I wasn't finding it. I'm also going, well, what's discerning of spirits? He said discerning of spirits and he said seers. Now, this is before James Gall wrote his book, The Seer, which came out in 2005. This started for me in 2002. So at that point, there's nobody talking about seers. I'm like... I don't know what this means. So I get my concordance out and I go to town on my concordance and I'm like, I got to find this thing out. What is a seer? What do they do? How do they function? And I find out, okay, there's a gift called a seer. It's an Old Testament person that's that's really the concept is that they're like a prophet and the concept of a prophet versus a seer. What I found as I studied is that a prophet hears from God with their spiritual ears whereas a seer operates through their spiritual eyes. When you look at the two words in the Hebrew that are used, the word for prophet, nabi, actually means to bubble up like a fountain. So when you read some of these prophecies in the Old Testament where it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, or I heard the Lord say, and they began to speak this word, and you see it a lot in Isaiah, that's a nabi prophet. They're speaking out what the Lord told them through their ears. When you start to see more of a seer operate, they operate through dreams and visions. And so they, yeah, you get Ezekiel, you get Amos, you get um, Samuel was a seer. You get these uh, pictures where it's much more descriptive. You know, there's there's so many of these uh, stories like such as Elijah and Elisha. And then uh, they're past the mantles. And you remember Elisha, he had a servant with him. And the enemies had surrounded them, and they get up, they come out of their tent in the morning, and they look, and there's armies everywhere, and the servant starts to freak out. He's getting all, ah, we're going to die. And Elisha comes out, and he goes, no, there's more with us than are with them. He's like, it looks like just you and me. I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, no, Lord, open his eyes that he would see. And his eyes immediately open and he sees an army in heaven around them, surrounding them. That is the way a seer operates. They see visions. They see things like that. Actually, the, the way that Navi, the prophet, it says it's like a bubbling fountain. The word for seer is roway. And it actually means like to open the door of a tent and peer to the other side. That's how a seer operates. They open that up and they look on the other side. And that's exactly what happens with opening your spiritual eyes to see in the spirit realm. So I have this experience for thirty days where whoop, I'm seeing the other side. I'm not controlling it. I'm not doing anything. It's just like I'll be talking to a friend and I get distracted and I don't know what's going on and I'm they're like, What what's wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do this. I have no idea. So I am experiencing this for a while. And then at the end of 30 days, it begins to diminish. Now I'm thinking I broke it. (laughs) I'm like, uh oh, what did I do? I'm like sitting up there, you know, like I'm just like, what did I do wrong? So I got this whole confusion now and i'm like lord what did i do did i break it did i mess up did you know is there a sin that i did like what was going on and he shows me this picture of a wall-mounted light switch like you have in every home all over the place just a regular on off switch and he shows me this switch and he says the last 30 days i turned the gift of discerning of spirits on full blast now i'm going to turn it off and teach you how to use the switch You know, guys, I I get some people who are like, well, you can't turn things on and off like that. Here's what we need to understand. Discerning of spirits has been completely confused in general. And I'm going to talk about what that gift is a little bit more. But one of the things about it, it's like any of the other nine gifts. I don't heal all the time. I have to have a sick person. Right? I don't prophesy all the time. Sometimes I'm alone. And I don't have someone to give a word of encouragement to. Unless I'm Jeremiah who says, Oh, earth, oh, earth, hear the word of the Lord. I need another person. So, when you think about this, we have a context when these gifts really operate and function. There are times like where Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift within you. So, we have to know ah, sick person, it's healing gift stir up time. Simply put. So I was learning how to do the switch. That's what he began to teach me from there forward. Now, I spent the next about six, seven years working on writing uh, as I was learning because I was finding that the books that I needed weren't there. So my book is not on prophecy. It's a book about the spirit realm and about discerning of spirits you know, there's such a lack of understanding about discerning of spirits. I actually found one book that was kind of what I call spiritual gifts for dummies. I don't give the exact name, uh, but the, the book itself was covering all nine of the gifts of the Holy Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12. And it gave a chapter to each of them. Now, it took prophecy and discerning of spirits and it put it together in one chapter. That's fine. So I start to flip through and I'm looking at this chapter that's 20 pages long and I get to the end of it and I find that Discerning of Spirits was given two pages. This book is 160 pages long and Discerning of Spirits, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit was given one piece of paper double-sided. On that one piece of paper double-sided, it said five non-committal statements, meaning Discerning of Spirits might be could possibly be, perhaps is when he didn't know what he was writing about here. He was like, just kind of taking a guess. You know, I know the other eight really well and I got to throw the ninth in there. So here's what we're going to say. Unfortunately, that is not just that that individual's uh, lack of knowledge. That is widespread across the body of Christ. Say, for example, if I said, uh, Chris, I have a prophetic word for you. Hey, he's excited. He went out and got the haircut, too. I mean, this is great. So Chris is like, yeah, a prophetic word. That sounds great. But if I said, Chris, I discern this about you. That's kind of what happens. (laughs) Uh, It's that immediate response of like guardedness that comes up discerning a spirit he discerned something about me could you discern it privately later (laughs) because what we've done with discernment is we've really cloaked evil statements inside discernment yeah i discern about sister so-and-so I discern the Jezebel spirit in that person. I discern this about the worship team. I discern, blah, blah, discern, discern. Guys, it says all the gifts are for the edification of all. It's the profit of all. It's for building up the body of Christ. If you take the other eight, you got faith. It builds you up. Yeah, faith. You have a miracle happen. You have healing happen. You get a word of encouragement. These eight are awesome. And then you get over to discerning of spirits and it's used like the spirit of slap. (laughs) It's used as accusation. It's used as suspicion. It's used as criticism. It's used as manipulation. And these are all cloaked inside of what I discern about so-and-so. You never see Jesus saying, well, I discern about Peter that he's dumb. (laughs) I discern about James and John that they want to murder all the Sumerians. You know, you just don't see him doing that. He talks to people assertively dead on. He's open with his heart and he declares to them, hey, here's what I'm thinking. For me, get behind me, Satan. You know, he says it to Peter or he says, you don't know what spirit you're of to, to James and John. He's not behind their back talking junk about them. And yet, that's in our immaturity. We have taken discernment to to say, "Well, I'll spiritually cloak my bad attitude and my inability to address issues." Oh, brother! Now you're just
1: messing.
0: Up. Doesn't matter. I mean, it's like discerning of spirits goes really well with passive aggression. Right. It's not just a, a spiritual gift of gossip. Oh, you know, guys, this has been going on for a long time, though. They asked John Wesley back in the 1730s. They asked him if you had to remove one of the nine spiritual gifts, which one would you remove and why? And he said, by far, I would remove the gift of discerning of spirits because no other gift has caused as much damage in the body of Christ. This has been going on for hundreds of years. You know, nowadays you can go online, you can type in discernment or discerning, and you're going to get some of the worst websites on the Internet as far as that still call themselves Christian. And the concept is, well, I'm the watchdog for the body of Christ. My whole job is to nitpick and to point fingers and to condemn and judge Sorry, guys, that is not Christ-like in any way. There is nothing healthy about those websites. The concept, too, is so warped because if I give you two Advil and your headache goes away, that's not a supernatural gift of healing. So think about it this way. Discerning something supernaturally is different than discerning something in the natural. You can discern in the natural My weight, my height, you know, the fact that I'm married, you can see the ring. You can discern in the natural by observation. That is not the gift of the Holy Spirit, a discerning of spirits. The gifts are all spiritual and supernatural in nature. It is not just the ability to give someone Advil and they feel better. That's not healing. They might get healed, but it's not supernatural healing. There's a difference. So a lot of these websites that come up with, you know, well, so-and-so, they've been divorced, and -and so-and-so, they did this, and they did this. What that really is, is just a bad resume. That's all that is. It is not a supernatural gift of discerning of spirits in operation. Because if you can go online and find all that, that doesn't require the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, he doesn't have anything to do with it. The problem is, you go back 300 years, John Wesley had the same thing happening to him. Just they didn't have an internet at the time. There were people spreading rumors all the time about John Wesley and how crazy he was and all the horrible stuff that happens in his meetings. Yet, he's the one we remember, not his detractors. Yeah, thank God for that. You know, it's interesting. I'm from Rochester, New York, and that's why you guys know Charles G. Finney. His biggest revival took place in my hometown. In the nine-month period, Charles Finney had 100,000 converts. Over 90% of the population turned to Christianity. He came in, and everybody there, the staunch Calvinistic Presbyterian church, told him, God will not move here until God is ready. Finney came in and said, God will move because I am here. He understood his relationship with God, that God in relationship with him would move because he was there. And after the nine months started rolling along and God was moving, almost every single one of those who had stood against him came onto his team, got trained by him and became other revivalists in the area. We have small towns in my area, uh, one's Hamlin, which is named after Reverend Hamlin, a, a heavy-duty Calvinistic Presbyterian who then turned and became a revivalist, and now we have towns named after them. And people in Rochester just don't know this, but it's tremendous to see once, once you get that breakthrough. But every time that we have a revivalist or someone who moves into something new, there's always a group that's going to attack, There's going to be a resistance. I've heard it explained this way, that every wave that washes up on the shore then crashes against the next wave washing up on the shore. That's what happens, and we got to commit ourselves, guys, in our hearts, to just keep going on to the shore. Be the wave that just keeps going. Don't at any point stop and turn back and crash against the next wave. I don't care if I'm talking to the young people or if I'm talking to the the wise older folks, but whichever group you're in, we cannot put our feet down in cement and say, this is as far as I want to grow. We have to be willing to keep going and not become the resistance to the next move of God that's coming forward. Amen. As a side note, I don't normally talk about that. Well, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. You guys are okay. It's good. Let me give you, thank you. Let me give you a little bit of a timeline here together so we can get on the same page. I want you to see what the Lord's doing in the earth and what this whole discerning of spirits thing, why it's so important and why the Lord's put it into the body again. Okay, what we see, if you go back 100 years, 1906, you have Azusa Street, Azusa Street is the revival. We've all heard this this term at some point, the Azusa Street Revival, the Azusa Street Revival really brought back into the body of Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as well as the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't happening before, because it was, it has always been happening, but just usually in very small pockets of the church, just really secluded. Maybe a monk here, or a priest here, or a father here, or, or a pastor, or a reverend, or... It's been happening all throughout church history, but just in a small measure. Then in 1906... Through uh, Charles Fox Parnum, he has his his Bible school. They begin to study the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It begins to break out, and the students begin to go into trances and visions and baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues and interpretation. And so that begins to happen, and one of his students is a one-eyed black man. Now, at this time, it was still so segregated that... that uh, William Seymour, this student, had to sit in the hallway with the door open to listen to the class. That's how segregated it was. And he was so hungry, he was willing to do that. And he went through school there, and he took it from Kansas, he took it to Los Angeles. And the Azusa Street uh, was actually just literally a barn. And it had little barrels, and they would put a, a plank across it, and they were on straw and dirt on the floor. And so they began to have meetings and and William Seymour would come out and he had a stack of apple crates as his pulpit. And he would come down and he'd put his head in the apple crates and he began to weep and cry and pray. And he would do that until he felt like the Holy Spirit said, start the meeting. So people would come and they'd sit and they would wait and they would probably, you know, sit there with their eyes closed or whatever they would do. And he's just got his head in a crate and it might be even an hour to an hour and a half sometimes. And then he'd pull his head out and tremendous miracles would take place. It was, there's uh, one person who recently got some interesting documentation from some of those uh, who were alive at that time. He did lots of interviews. Uh, it's called, They Told Me Their Stories. And he records that there was actually a tangible cloud in the room during most of those meetings. Literally, so tangible that people would come in with jars and try to capture this, seal it, and when they took it outside, the jar would be empty. But that's how tangible it was. Night after night, the fire department would be called over and over again. You have to go. There's a fire that's building is on fire, and they would see flames rising from above the roof. It was just incredible, the things they saw, literally whole arms that had been amputated grow out in an instant. I mean, we're talking, this is a different level. Bethel's awesome, but Bethel wants to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, Bethel's my favorite place on earth right now. But they want to see arms just go right out and clouds hanging in the air every day, meeting after meeting. The unfortunate thing about what did happen, and I'll just add this eventually, is that William Seymour began to come down and he would not put his head in the crate anymore. And from the day he stopped putting his head in the crate and praying and crying out and being hungry and being humble, the cloud dissipated and the miracle stopped. And that was the end of three and a half years of that tremendous dwelling glory. But at the same time, he also prophesied that a hundred years from now, this will return and it will not disappear. We're in that time period where this stuff is starting to come up. It's starting to grow. So my point about this timeline, you start with this one. okay? so this is kind of the breakthrough of the nine gifts tongues and interpretation are released into the body of Christ. You move forward in time just a little bit to 1948 and 49 1948 and 49 there was a movement called the voice of healing the voice of healing movement under gordon Lindsay and and oral roberts and tl osborne and and branham and a. a allen and and just these these tremendous gifts that god had given the body of christ in fact we only know on average we know maybe like 10 or 12 of the names there's actually 120 of these full-time healing evangelists that traveled around the the, the whole uh, United States, going, setting up giant circus tents and having these incredible meetings where just tremendous things were healed. Now, in that movement, the 1948 and 49 healing movement, the Lord restored to the body of Christ the gift of healing and the word of knowledge. A word of knowledge, if you're not familiar, is just supernatural knowledge. The Lord tells you there's someone in the room with and maybe it's a certain physical condition. And when you call it out, usually the person's healed. That moment, they get healed when it's called out. Faith rises up in them and the Lord touches them and they get healed. So word of knowledge and healing flow together very often. So in 1948, you see healing and word of knowledge get restored. You move forward just a little bit from the 60s and 70s, you see Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland. And these two men of God began to teach on the gift of faith. Kenneth Hagin actually was in a sickbed. He had a tremendous physical illness and ailment, uh, was frail and and close to death. And the Lord began to speak to him through uh, some verses about how he wanted to touch and heal him. And faith came into his heart and he got healed. Just on a sickbed reading the Bible alone, faith came into his heart and he got healed. And he began to teach on the gift of faith for years and years to follow that. So Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland have pushed forward a restoration of the gift of faith in the body of Christ. You move forward just a little bit more. The 1980s, you begin to see these movements rise up about prophecy, prophecy and the word of wisdom. You see what was called the Kansas City Prophets Movement. Kansas City Prophets were people that we still know some of their names, such as Larry Randolph, John Paul Jackson, um, Let's see. Mike Bickle. Uh, Some of these guys, they've been around since the 80s, pioneering the gift of prophecy and word of wisdom to bring it back into the body of Christ. At the same time, in the 1980s, you have John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. That's that's really rising up and they're teaching on the gift of prophecy, as well as you also have uh, Bill Hammond. And Bill Hammond with Christian International, he has he has recorded he's trained over 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people that he's trained in prophecy. So through the 1980s, you see prophecy and the word of wisdom rising up in the body of Christ. You move forward just a little bit more. You look at what we have so far. Okay, tongues and interpretation of tongues, healing word of knowledge. The gift of faith, prophecy, and word of wisdom. That's seven out of the nine gifts. There's two more gifts to be restored. I believe the gift of miracles began to be restored in 1994. In 1994, you see uh, the Pensacola-Brownsville revival that takes off, as well as you see Toronto that comes forth. And with both of those movements, the Lord was really emphasizing the miraculous this is actually where we get some of the, the, uh, some of the tremendous people we know right now, such as Cheyan was just a very, very hungry pastor at the time. And he wrote in his book, Into the Fire, he talks about going to Toronto and the Lord touching him and just transforming his whole way of thinking and moving into the miraculous. Heidi Baker was a burnout missionary after 17 years planting only four churches. She goes to Toronto. The Lord touches her. She ends up on the floor for seven days and nights. And she goes back to Africa and now has planted over 10,000 churches in 10 years. Toronto has had incredible fruit. But, you know, fruit takes time to grow sometimes. Sometimes. And it's really easy to plant a seed and then look at the ground and be like, look, see, there's no fruit. That's no good. And that's what a lot of the same naysayers that are always using their discernment. They look at Toronto and they're like, "Ah, oh, see, nothing came out of it. Well, what about the million Muslims that have gotten saved out of Mozambique? What about the 200 people that have been raised from the dead over in Mozambique? What about Leif Hetland in in Pakistan has seen over half a million Muslims get saved? And he was also touched by that whole Toronto movement. There's been tremendous fruit, but some of us, we're still stuck with just watching one or two YouTube videos that are against Toronto. And we think that there was a problem there. You know, they persecuted Azusa Street as well. They persecuted the 1950s healing revival as well. They persecuted the gift of faith, because who would want faith in the body of Christ? It's crazy. Wherever you're at, you're going to have some resistance as you move forward, unless we choose not to do that and actually move with the cloud, move with God. That's important for us to get a hold of that. So... At this point, I believe he's released the miraculous in 1994 and we've been seeing a growth in that ever since. I mean, we're just hearing the stories this morning from a couple days of days of just what we're netting, what we're seeing now happen. And you move forward. Here's the interesting thing. You know what else happened? A significant world event happened in 1994. The Internet. The Internet was released. Now, I believe the Internet. I'm not saying it's from God or from the devil. But I believe the devil looking at this timeline, being aware of what's going on, he looks at it and goes, you know, the last one to come out of these nine gifts that need to be restored is discerning of spirits, which has everything to do with your spiritual eyes. So he looks at the Internet and he goes, ah, preemptive strike miracles just been released in ninety four discernment is going to be next. So into the Internet, I'm going to plant what I need to plant to try to subvert the discerning of spirits down the road. I'm going to cram their eye gate full of garbage so that when it's time for them to begin to see in the spirit and through the eyes of heaven, they're going to be so filled with condemnation and impurity that they won't want to do it or they feel like they can't do it or they're disqualified from doing it. He preemptively strikes. He's seeing this timeline better than some of us are. So we have this beginning to stir up. You know, before you have any of these restorations, you have a forerunner. Before you have the gift of faith restored to the body of Christ, you have a Kenneth Hagin and a Kenneth Copeland that the Lord begins to raise up and train and work in their heart to be a forerunner for that. Before you have a Azusa Street, the Lord raises up a William Seymour. You follow me? So you have to have a forerunner before you can have something released. You know, actually, Toronto, they were having people laugh and fall out and roll on the floor before Randy Clark came. It was just the fact that some of the other speakers who had come in just thought everybody was out of order. They didn't know revival history. Randy came in and went... I'm a student of revival history. He saw it and he was like, I know what's happening right here. But it had been happening for weeks and even months before he got there. He identified it and they went for it and they brought in the restoration. So as a forerunner, Uh, I, I believe, you know, the Lord, he spoke to me through that 2002 prophetic word when he put that gift of discerning of spirits, being able to see in the spirit realm. And let me give you a definition in the same way that prophecy is encouragement, edification, comfort. I believe discerning of spirits is seeing through the eyes of Jesus. I'm not just talking about the ability to have a vision, have a dream or see an angel or something like that. That is wonderful and great. But I will not limit it to that. Paul said to know no one after the flesh. Meaning that you're going to see beyond their their actions, their attitudes, their mistakes, who they confused in their mind think that they are. And you're going to see who they really are through the eyes of Jesus. That's true discerning of spirits. True discerning of spirits is not just the ability to pick up on the mistakes in someone's life. To dig out dirt. Anybody can be a dirt digger. That's not supernatural at all. But to really be able to dig in and go, this is the secrets of your heart. You know, it says that the secrets of your heart will be laid bare. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14, that when an unbeliever comes into a meeting and there's prophecy functioning, the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. They'll fall before God and praise him and worship and glorify him. Now. That doesn't happen because you called out someone's secret sin and their problems in their life. That happens because that word you lay bare the secret, secret is actually treasure. You actually get a hold of the treasure of who they are in their heart. And you begin to call that out. And they're like, wow. So God thinks that about me. He created me that way. He's called me to do. Oh, my goodness. Now they're going to worship and glorify God. You bring a non-believer in here and you begin to lay on to them the way that Jesus saw people, you end up with situations like John 4 with the woman at the well. Think about it. She says, hey, I met a guy who told me everything I've ever done. Here's someone who has a lot of sexual baggage, right? If he called her out in a negative way, I don't think she'd bring the whole town out to hear it. She says, he told me everything I've ever done. He gave her one word of knowledge and he spoke with such love and dignity into her heart that it just, everything was open. The heart, the receiving, I want it. Yes, glorify God, fall on your knees, the whole deal. You get it? So that is true discerning of spirits is seeing people for who they really are through the eyes of love. So... Here's where I see that we're at. All right. You ready for this? Give me just two minutes of your attention. All right. So here's the timeline. Azusa Street. Tongues and interpretation are restored. Voice of healing. Healing and word of knowledge is restored. Seventies. The gift of faith is restored to the body of Christ. You move forward. You see the eighties. You see word of wisdom and prophecy restored. 1994, you see miracles restored in the body of Christ. The Lord begins to raise up forerunners. And I believe we're entering into the restoration of discerning of spirits where we're actually going to see each other through the eyes of love. That's where we are. It says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Agreed. I have always heard that as what I call the church split verse. You start hearing someone say, well, how can two walk together unless we're in agreement? That means they're probably having elders meetings behind your back and a split is going to come. Ah, We can't walk together because we don't agree. Well, the Lord started to talk to me about that verse and he said, do you always agree with your wife? I said, no, I'm wrong sometimes. He said, Do you always agree with yourself? No. If you talked to me uh, three years ago, I would disagree with something that I said three years ago. So I don't even agree with myself. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Unity is not based on agreement, unity is based on love and commitment, love and covenant. My wife and I walk together not because we always agree. We walk together because we love each other and we have a covenant. So, in the body of Christ, we have to get past this thing that's caused us to now have 33,000 Christian Protestant denominations. Where every time we disagree, we split. Get over it. It's okay. We're mature enough to be able to disagree and still love each other. That's okay. It is okay to do that. So, this whole thing of once we see each other correctly and we love each other correctly, then we will actually be able to walk together in unity. We know we're still here because it says in Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are here until... One of the untils is until we reach the unity of the faith. I don't believe we're going to have a one world denomination, but I do believe that there will be a bonding in heart where people go, you know, you think this, I think this, and that's okay. We disagree, but we honor each other. We love each other. You're my brother. You are worth dying for. I was worth dying for. We both have value. We both have worth. We're going to spend eternity together. So I love you. And we can disagree, and that's okay. And that is something that is coming to a greater and greater degree as we begin to move in discerning of spirits, a movement of love that will be released in the body of Christ where we see each other correctly, and a movement of unity that will form out of that. And we're here until a movement of unity is a part of that. Let's stand up together. I'd like to pray over all of you. Would you place your hands over your eyes? I just want to release a prayer of impartation over everyone in the room right now. Lord, your word says that there is an anointing for the eyes that they would see. Revelation 3. An anointing for the eyes that they would see. Lord, I ask that your eyes of love would be placed in each individual here. That they would regard no one after the flesh, but that they would regard them after their true identity in you. Every person in this room and every person outside this room was worth your death because you're a wise investor and you said they're worth dying for. So we thank you for that, for that investment you've made in us and we will treat people as worthy, as worthy of your love because you thought they were and we agree with you. And Lord, we also receive your love right now. I speak that love into each heart here right now. Every heart that wonders if they're loved, every heart that wonders about all the stuff that they did and the mistakes and the whatever. Lord, we thank you that they are loved from head to toe, completely worth dying for. We thank you for that discerning of Spirit's gift. I ask for an impartation to touch Each person here, as their hearts cry out and desire and pursue your spiritual gifts, that you'd lay them into each of their hearts, the gift of discerning of spirits. I thank you for your precious people. You guys, it's really it's really good if you go from here and you you take some time just in worship to let the Lord speak to you. Put some soft worship on at home. Lay on your floor. Let him keep talking to you, because I know some of you he's got more to say for sure. He wants to talk to all of us all the time. That's for sure. But some of you, he's got something more he's going to put in you this week. So we just release that to you. Let the Lord speak to you. Keep pressing in for his gifts. Bless you. Amen.
1: All right, real quick before we go. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Real quick before we go. Um, it's not, it doesn't help when somebody gifts of the spirits come in and my administrator now is on the floor. Um, real quick before we go, uh, could you just grab a seat real quick? Um, I know the, the nursery workers are probably um, a little irritated with us, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, uh, we already gave a, a general offering to Jonathan, but um, I would like to give you an opportunity to sow into him. Because the Bible says that uh, when you when you sow spiritually, you reap spiritually. Sowing financially into a uh, ministry, there is a return. It's a spiritual interaction. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you ushers to come down, and i want to pray real quick. And just, if you want to sow into Jonathan's ministry, what do they, who do they make the check? Well, make it out to the gathering place and then I'll send you one check. Yeah. No, just make it out to the gathering. Well, I'll know what this is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll know what this offering is. So, separate this offering from the general offering, so I know that every penny of this is going to go to Jonathan. Okay? All right. Father, let's, let's just pray. Hang on, Mark. Hang on for a second. Stop. Father, we want to honor the prophet right now. You have said to honor the prophet, and you'll receive a prophet's reward. And so, Lord, one of the ways you said to honor was through uh, sowing financially into their ministry. So, Lord, right now, we sow into Jonathan's ministry, specifically the discerning of spirits. We want to honor that gift in this house. We honor the prophet, Lord, by sowing into this ministry. As a forerunner in the body of Christ, we want to be a part of that. So we release our finances into his ministry now, by faith. And, Lord, we expect a return, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, Passos, and uh, thank you, Jonathan, very much for depositing. Um, And uh, and, uh, after you have given, I want to uh, ask the prayer teams to come down front. We didn't pray for the sick today because I wanted Jonathan to have the time. But if you have sickness in your body, come down front. We'll have the prayer teams down here, and uh, we're going to pray for the sick. Uh, go to Jonathan's book table back there and look at his books and buy one or two of them. But um, after you've given, you're free to go. God bless you. Go to a connect group this week.